I always said, I'm going to quit smoking if I have to literally wait in line every time I have to buy a pack of cigarettes. And I've never had to. So luckily, <laughs> I've never had to quit. <laughs> Hi, this is Justin. And this is Laura. And it's count time, your four o'clock stand-up count. So we're going to talk about the different things that people do in prison to make money, the different, you know, I guess we've already talked about jobs, like on the conventional sense, you know, things that, you know, people are assigned to do by the administration or things the government pays the inmates to do. But that's not how you make your money in prison. That's not how you survive. You can't live off of $30 a month or uh, $100 a month. You got to, in order to live well, you've got to come up with something of value that you offer to your fellow man. And so it can be something as minor as, you know, you work in facilities and you're able to get duct tape. And so blah, blah, blah needs duct tape. Okay, well, you've got the duct tape. So you're going to charge money for every little bit of that duct tape that you can, can get because you can't just go buy duct tape. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, oh, I need, I need to make shelves for my, for my locker because these lockers have been passed down for 45 years. And over the years, the shelves have been torn out and the government's not going to give you shelves to put in your locker. So what are you going to do? Stack everything from the bottom all the way to the top of the locker? No, you have to make your own shelves. So how are you going to make the shelves? You're going to use cardboard. You got to somehow make the cardboard resilient enough and look decent so that when the cops come in and look, they're not going to take them. Uh, so, you know, use duct tape and use different things like that. But so that's just a, a small example of what somebody would do. Actually, there was somebody that made shelves, you know? So, I mean, it goes literally everything you can think of has a price tag on it in prison. Go ahead. Which I think is interesting because my brain immediately goes to you can't live off of the $30 a month you're going to make for your assigned job. Right. You need the side hustle mm-hmm. or, or the sure. the homemade business for whatever you're going to do in prison. Mm-hmm. So you, you need to create that in order to pay for someone else's commodity they've created. Right. It's so an ecosystem. It's an really, entire economy. It really, truly is. How mm-hmm. interesting is that? Like, I don't think there was even, from from what I would logically deduce, there wouldn't be a way to do it with only the the government-funded um, paychecks simply because you can't do anything at all or acquire anything, which is that. Right. Not just for pricing. Sure. But, well, but I mean, like, so the but. way that they set it up, uh, the way that it is set up now anyway is, well, the government assumed, you know, they have to offer like a commissary of some sort, you know, something mm-hmm. that, you know, okay, so we have this store, we allow you to go once a week to the store and you can buy a set amount of things. Uh, you know, here's your, your, we have to have a limit because we're locking up all, a bunch of millionaires too, you know, a bunch of people that have made a ton of money doing whatever it is that we they did to get locked up. Um, we weren't able to get all their money, so we're going to have to get their money another way. Um, you know, but, but we can't allow them to just buy whatever they want because they'd buy everything and live as well as they you know, possibly could. I mean, if I could spend, if I had thousands of dollars a month to spend in prison, I would have bought everything because it's the only thing that brings you any joy, you know, like in prison mm-hmm. is like literally buying the few crappy things that they offer you, you know? And, and so, you know, you'd have those guys that literally every time a new pair of shoes would come out, like they'd have them right away, you know, like, but that's those shoes, you know, 80 bucks, they count towards your limit. So automatically you're down from three sixty down to, 
you know, down $80, so you're 280 Yeah, so that's interesting you bring up prison shoes. Uh, my grandfather has actually discussed this with me a <laughs> few times over, over the many years. Right. And um, he talks about how much he hates his prison shoes uh, because he has to use specific shoes for visitation. Uh-huh. Versus what he wears in his cell when he's on his own. Right. So, so for well, I don't some, think, yeah, if I remember correctly, in the prison he's at, like you can't, you have to wear your boots to to visit, right? So it's changed. Oh, okay. And I, I'm not. I think it's changed for everyone, but it is possible since he does have so many health concerns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's possible that it's changed for him because of his age and his health concerns. Right. So they need different footwear. I'm not positive, but I was under the impression it was for everyone. But they're they're not sneakers per se. If you could think for our fellow factory workers out there, like factory shoes that aren't steel toed boots, right? Like they're they're kind of like that. Um, yes, I know what you're talking about. But then he has different shoes, or so I hear. I've, I've never <laughs> right. been, I've never seen him in them, right. of course. But he has different shoes he keeps um, for casual wear when he's not sure. Um, told he has to change. So what is that like? Are, are you discussing shoes? I'm talking like, about both? like Under Armour shoes or Nikes oh. or Adidas or whatever they're offering. So, so like, so these are shoes that we'd find on the street, or sorta. are they? Think okay. about it like this: these are the rejects that didn't oh, no. make, you know, your, okay. you know, they might have not even been quite okay enough for outlet malls, you know, like they're oh, a step <laughs> a step away from that, but they're charging the same price. What the Bureau of Prisons is allowed to do is they're allowed to mark them up certain percent. I think it's like thirty percent. They're allowed to mark up everything. But they're only allowed to make that much profit off of everything that they buy. So obviously we're a captive audience, so we're going to pay whatever they charge. So like, let's say an $80 pair of Under Armors is, you know, a $50 shoe or whatever it is, you know, on the street. But you're really not going to, you might find something similar to it, but the the actual shoe has probably not been sold on on the street because... You know, it's it's it didn't make the cut somehow, but there's a whole truckload of them that didn't make the cut. So X Y Z prison, and every prison is autonomous in these kind of things. So it's not like one standard. I'm just speaking federally. You know, for the whole country, it's literally every prison buys. They have a budget. It's the trust fund. So the inmates, it's actually the inmates' money mm-hmm. that they are putting into the stores, which are then being sold back to them, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, it is. It's Nikes, it's Under Armors, it's all, you know, Nike sandals, you know, to wear in the shower or to wear casually in the yard. You know, you're not really allowed to wear like open-toed shoes just in general, you know, wandering about. But, you know, like, yeah, yeah, it's real shoes. Open-toed shoes. Hooligans. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't know. I think, I don't know why that would be a rule, but. Uh, I mean, safety, hygiene, hygiene, safety, yeah. just in general. I mean, I, I don't know. I wear open toed shoes just because I hate wearing shoes. Yeah, but me too. if I was around a bunch of people all the time, I'd probably always wear closed shoes. <laughs> right. Okay, so how do some of uh, these people pay for their shoes? Your entry wage in the feds is 12 cents an hour. So that's a level or grade four is what they call their grades. You've got grade five, which is like maintenance pay. It's $5 a month and that's it. And that's just because they have to pay you something legally. Like that's what you make. 
Then there's grade four, which is 12 cents an hour. Grade three, I think you bump up to 20 something cents an hour. Grade two is 30 something. And then grade one is usually close to a dollar. I think it's a dollar an hour. I can't remember. I was only a grade one once. But I remember grade two, which was the highest I got, was like $77 a month. And that's not bad. Your income, you know, is only going to be like 50 some dollars a month at the end of the day if you add up. 40 hours a week because they can only pay you 160 hours a month. They can't pay you more than that, but they can bonus you. So your bonus is half of your, your monthly pay. Uh, So if I made $77 a month, that means my monthly pay was like 40 something dollars. And then I got, or uh, 50 something dollars. And I got like a 20 something dollar bonus on it just to give you a rough estimate of how it works. So it was always a good month when we got our bonus and we were able to, you know, get paid on that as well. So everything adds up. A lot of times I had to come up with different hustles that I, you know, was a part of too. Like, so for instance, at Marion, I did laundry and I actually ended up quitting my job at the steam shop because I had so much business doing laundry. My, my buddy Rick got me up whenever he got up, which was, he was an old man and he got up at the crack of dawn and (laughs) he would literally get me up at, at like five in the morning or five, 15 in the morning, but we would literally get the laundry room because he also did laundry and we would do laundry until 11 o'clock. And so it was like from 6 a.m. to 11 o'clock pretty much. And I had my whole rest of my day, which I loved uh, because I would always take a nap and then I would have at least eight hours. I mean, where I was at, it was actually... Marion was a super fun place to do time. Like, <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> but, in, but in comparison, like when you're... Yeah, compared to yeah. anywhere else. Like there were people... Um, just not to get too off topic, but there are people, you know, in, in the feds, if you have a drug crime, typically you're allowed to do a treatment program called RDAP mm-hmm. and they have them at certain prisons, but they don't have them at other prisons. They don't have it at Marion. There were people that would literally give up their year off. They would get for the drug program because it was better to do time at Marion oh, wow. than it was. So rather than leave that camp and go to a different prison to do this program, they would just stay an extra year in prison. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I made more money doing that. So I charged uh, $8 a month is the going rate, $8 a month to do laundry twice a week and bedding once a week for everybody. So I had, and that's, I mean, there's people that would take advantage of that $8 a month and would literally give you a laundry bag that you could not even fit any soap into. Like, I mean, it would be ridiculous. Um, and I was pretty difficult to deal with when it came to that kinds of those kinds of things. <laughs> like, I didn't have a lot of patience for people, which is why I've never made a good public servant or anything like that. But uh, <laughs> I had enough customers where I was making, I was making almost like three, $400 a month just in laundry. And so that would be paid. And I would give a list to everybody every week or once a, it would actually be once a month. I would give them a list, but everybody kind of fell at a different time. So it was able to, so I was able to eat throughout the month off of my income from laundry. So when you're saying the money you made, you quit your job to do laundry for, for other inmates, right? they're paying you privately. This isn't like a job that. Well, I also, my prison job was the laundry room. So I, I worked that out to where I was in charge of cleaning the laundry room. Oh, cleaning yeah. the laundry room. Yeah, so that was my, I would, make, okay. I would make like $18 a month doing that. So once a day, I just had to sweep and mop the laundry room. But I was in there anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> All the extra I mean, work. I spent oh a lot gosh. of time in this laundry room, a lot of time. <laughs> a lot of good memories in that laundry room. <laughs> 
sounds terrible, but that's yeah, true. Cool. Well, that's interesting. Think about it like this. Would you be more likely to do something if it if you had to literally wait in queue to do it every single time you had to do it? No. I always said, I'm going to quit smoking if I have to literally wait in line every time I have to buy a pack of cigarettes. And I've never had to. So luckily, <laughs> I've never had to quit. <laughs> However, if I had to wait in line every time to buy cigarettes, no, I'm not patient enough for that. So think about uh, your average inmate really probably doesn't have enough going on to where he's too busy to do his own laundry. Mm -hmm. However, to have to wait in line for a washer, because that's time that you're just killing. At this prison, you know, there's a lot of good jobs and a lot of good things, you know, going on. Um, Nobody wants to wait in line to do laundry. So that's where I come in. I'll take your laundry for you. I've already got the... Laundry room on lockdown. You can't come in and do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. So that's sneaky. So when you were cleaning, you would do their laundry. Yeah, I would do everything So you didn't have time. to wait in line No, I didn't all. have to wait in line because oh nobody God. else could use the laundry room. Mm-hmm. Just Rick and I. It's perfect. Yeah, we worked like it out it. like that. We- yeah, so you, you cornered the market. Definitely. And that's why we <laughs> teamed up. Well, he was getting out, or he was rather, he was going to RDAP. Uh, to do the drug program. And so he was going to leave all of his clients to me. So I was going to be the one taking over anyway. But it didn't work out so well. At the end, there was a whole lot. I'll go into that another time. <laughs> <laughs> so do a lot of people leverage the jobs they already have to make money as a side hustle? Or is that common? Tell me about that. Let's say you work in the kitchen. You definitely want to work in the kitchen or in a specific part of the kitchen because if you work at X part of the kitchen, you have access to pastries you know or you have access to eggs and i mean eggs for instance is one of the biggest money makers there because it's the best efficient source of protein you know and nobody can is sold you know a carton of eggs at the store you know you hit a carton of eggs only out of the kitchen and this kitchen probably has a giant refrigerator the size of a room filled with eggs at all times. So it's, and the eggs are not being counted every day. You know what I mean? Like, no one does inventory. <laughs> nobody does inventory. <laughs> because you have to remember the people that work at this prison, they're doing the same thing. They're taking as much as they can home every single day. And I'm not kidding. And I mean, that goes for lawnmowers. That goes for, I mean, I've seen it. And it's, we've all seen it. And it's the biggest scam this country has ever seen. But anyway. <laughs> That's a peg for another podcast. But what I will yeah. say is these people, number one, they want their eggs too. And number two, they don't want to have to do any work. So they've put inmates in charge of the eggs. So one inmate might have control over the entire refrigerator of eggs. Now, he's not going to do it because he doesn't want to lose his job because if they do catch him doing it, then they have to do something about it. So if he gets told on and, you know, which happens constantly, like in prison, most likely if you get jammed up in prison, it's because your buddy told on you. You know what I mean? Like, and they're doing that every day, all day. It's, they just, nobody wants the next guy to have more than them, you know? And that's, it's, it just is what it is. And, um, it's sad. I wish it wasn't like that, but it definitely is. Why is that? Is it out of, um, because you're in an environment where, you don't have a lot of control. You do, you know, and I, I admire the people that have made a successful and success by prison standards, you know, way of living their lives made something out of nothing. Like, cause that was never something I grew up with, you know, like 
I never had to worry where my next meal was coming from. I never had to worry about clothing myself, you know, at a, you know, at a young age. And that, you know, unfortunately, I think for people in that position, they just don't really have a whole lot of concern because at the end of the day, there's a safety net for them, you know, and, and I'm not saying that even you guys have had that experience, but I will say that, you know, I always knew that if worse came to worse, I had somebody that would help me. But most people, especially most people in prison, have never had that. They're only able to get what they can get for themselves. And so that is a unique way of living your life because you have to have a certain amount of selfishness and a certain amount of uh, shark to you, you know, to actually you know, get what you want. You know, if you're a pushover and you don't have any money, you're going to never have any money, you know, like, because you're going to constantly be getting taken advantage of. So you, I think in prison, especially you have to just come up with, you know, I mean, it's, it's been interesting just to look at it from kind of an, a perspective of somebody that never thought that he would be in an, an environment like that, you know, to actually exist in an environment like that, not just exist, but to actually, I mean, I wouldn't say I thrived, but I was able to assimilate into that environment. You know, I never had any issues with anybody. I never, you know, like it's, it's easy to learn if you just pay attention, you know, to like your surroundings. And so I don't know, like you have to actually find a way to live comfortably while not getting, you know, locked up because don't forget there's a jail inside the jail, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, and the, actually, what I really appreciate about Barack Obama is he ended the practice of locking people up in solitary confinement indefinitely. You know, there was people that I know that were locked up for two to three years straight in the in the hole in the shoe, and I'm talking 23 hour day lockdown. Very, I mean, your only interaction is with a a cop, you know, who walks by and pushes a tray of food through a chuck hole, and you get you know two showers a week, and that. I mean, can you imagine that for, for, I, I did that for 40 days, you know, and that was enough to make me crazy for 40 days. You know, I had no idea what my family knew, you know, where I was, I, you know, all of a sudden I wasn't able to call them. I wasn't able to have any interaction with it. It's not like they would let me call my family and let them know, let them know, you know, they don't care, mm-hmm. you know? And so I had no money on my books at that time. So I had no ability to even write them to tell them what was going on. And I mean, I can only imagine what somebody, you know, has to go through that, you know, but anyway, I mean, that's getting off topic on that. But, uh, but just, just, you know, just, just for people to, to realize that there's people out there that have made hundreds of thousands of dollars from inside prison and they might not ever be going home, but they're sending money home. They've managed to, you know, create a lucrative environment for themselves in there, you know, and, and they might be supporting people on the outside from in prison. You can't fault somebody for it. Like, you kind of have to look at it like this is a person who made their entire life up until this point. Like that's how they fed their family. This isn't some junkie doing drugs. Who's distributing drugs to people to get them high. This is somebody who has a kid. He's got to feed out there. Their kid is being taken care of by their mom, you know, or, or their, their grandmother's watching their kid. Grandmother has a fixed income, doesn't have any, any money coming in. And, He's got to clothe his daughter, you know, and or got to buy school supplies for her and things like that. But he's in prison, you know, like, what is he supposed to do? Well, he's going to figure it out. And that's what I admire about a lot of this stuff is how somebody can literally turn nothing into something. And it's all about how you are able to 
talk to people? Because how do you think that that person gets the K2 to sell in prison? He gets it from a guard. And he gets it from somebody, a staff member. And he had to develop a relationship with that staff member to the point of where he felt comfortable enough to say, hey, how would you like to make some money with me? And that staff member might lock him up immediately and ship him to the next prison just to get him away from it. Because any staff member can be like, nope, I want him gone. And that inmate will be shipped to who knows where. These are places that you don't want to go. Like people, you know, might have a really decent kind of la-di-da experience and other people might literally have to fight for their lives every day. And it just depends on on where you're at. So I, I really uh, I really admire people that are able to support their family from inside prison because I certainly wouldn't have been able to and I didn't. You know, like I I left my family with my wife having to work two jobs, three jobs to support us and to keep her house, to keep two car payments, to keep insurance. Like these are things that, you know, like when I was out there running around, I was making money and I was giving her money, but I never considered like the long-term impact of what I was doing on her and on, on, on my daughter. So. So it sounds like for a lot of people inside, the urge to provide is the drive and motivation. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I think that, uh, money is the drive for me. It was a, uh, I didn't have the right motivation. I thought that was going to solve the the things, the problems I was creating was, you know, throw money at the problem. You know, it's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm doing all this, but look what I'm giving you. You know, I'm doing it for you, you know? And it's like, no, I'm not. I'm doing it for myself because I don't want to work a real job and I want to still afford my habit and I want to still think I'm being a man by paying for you know, this, that, or the other, giving you a thousand bucks a week, you know, whatever I can do. At the end of the day, though, you know, she would always come back at me and be like, yeah, but you're going to go to prison for this, you know, like, or you're going to, you know, you're doing, I don't want your illegal money, you know, and stuff like that. I remember one time, Jack, I mean, more than one time, actually, Jackie ripped up a thousand dollars and threw it out the window while we're driving. Produced by Daniel Argabright, music by Elliot Torres and Matt Williams, art by Nick Chalupa at Hikari Studios. Thank you for listening, and just remember, we're all your neighbors.